You're listening to the Creating a Brand podcast, where we deliver weekly interviews on topics to help entrepreneurs make their first or next step in business the right one. I am your host, Alex Sanfilippo. If I were to ask you what your businesses or personal core values are, would you be able to recite them to me? As it turns out, only half of founders are able to recite their own business's core values. Today's guest is Darius Mershazde. He is the author of The Core Value Equation, which explains how to build a core value-driven business that is positioned for limitless scale. Darius is ranked number nine on Glassdoor's list of top CEOs, and one of his businesses has been named the number three best place to work. Additionally, one of his companies has landed at number 40 on the Inc. 500 list of fastest growing companies. Darius says all this success is a result of properly setting up core values within his organizations. For links to resources that will be mentioned during this episode, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 144. And now here is my conversation with Darius Mershazde. Darius, welcome to the Creating a Brand podcast. Alex, thanks for having me, brother. Absolutely. I'm really excited about our conversation today because we're going to be talking about implementing core values. And this is something that I have to be transparent here with you and with the listeners as well. It's something that I have not done very well. I'm the guy, like most people, as you've told me, who write up some little document and throw it on the wall. I'm all proud of it and stuff like that. But that's about as far as my core values have ever gone. And what we're talking about today is actually some points from your book titled The Core Value Equation. And first off, I want to say I love this book. I, I got so much from this. I now feel fully equipped. I can like follow a play-by-play for actually properly implementing core values. So thank you so much for this, Darius. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, the pleasure was mine. I mean, I wrote the book kind of... Um, I was in Dallas doing a talk on core values for my butt, one of my the guy I mentored and um, he was an orthodontist. So I was at an orthodontics conference and, nice. and we did a, he did a fireside chat with me on, on core values, how to use core values for your business. And, and it was kind of like what you and I were talking about earlier where, where I said, look, everyone does it wrong. Like, and that's pretty common. And, and so at the end of the talk, I had about a hundred people, there was about 500 people in the room, probably not a hundred, maybe like 50 people in line to talk to me. And they said, oh, is there like a book or a class or something I could take on this? And this is no, uh, end of October 2018. And I said, nope. And the next person asked the same question. I said, nope. The next person asked the same question. I said, nope. By like the fifth person, I said, yeah, my book's coming out in June. <laughs> and, right. That's smart. And, Good job. <laughs> and then, so this is like the end of October 2018. I, I, I said that. And no joke, I had my first draft done of the book by June 25th of 19. But it, but again, at this point, I was still CEO of my company, and I hadn't exited, and I was still really just focused on you know writing it for my friends and for other entrepreneurs. So the book was really written from that place. It was not written with the intention of, of a lot of what I'm doing now, actually, which is helping companies build their core values. But yeah, that that that's kind of where it came from. I, I love that. You know, I actually got the idea to start my company, Podmatch, from speaking at a conference, getting off stage, and having enough people say the same thing as well. There's like a common trend there. When you realize there's a need, it's like, oh, as an entrepreneur, we're like, oh, I need to do something about this need because everyone's asking me for it. So I really respect the fact that you saw that and actually just went for it. And like you're saying, you're one of the few people to actually get this. Like I've had this show going for over two years now, and I have never covered this this topic. And it's because there's just not a lot of options out there. I mean, there's the people that teach you how to make a really nice one page document to hang on the wall. Like there's a lot of that content out there. Sure. But it, it doesn't help. Like I, I have that. I, I couldn't list them off. Like when I was reading your book, you had that challenge in there of like, can you actually, do you know them? And in my head, I'm like, of course I do. And I start listing them off. I'm like, I know two of them. I think I have nine, you know, like I didn't know what I was talking about, but I think to make sure the audience is on the same track with us here, Darius, I think the first place we need to start off is, can you just talk to us about 
your definition for a core value driven organization? What does this mean? Yeah, so so a core value driven organization is one in which core values are alive and well in the organization. It's really as simple as that. What I my, my the position I've taken is that core values have the opportunity to become the language of the organization. So when we stop thinking about them as what what, what does it mean for our core values to be alive and well? Like what does that even mean? Right. That, that the, therein lies the issue, by the way. Like, like, why does everyone write, do their one page plan? Because that's tactical. I could say, hey, Alex, I'm going to sit with you and we're going to build your one page plan. And it's going to talk about your 10 year goals and your three year goals and your one year goals. And we're going to build KPIs and we're going to have your revenue and your income and size and some targets around doing good in the world. And we're going to come up with your your vision of what what that could look like. And if you really hit your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal, you know, how many lives are you going to change? And oh, by the way, in the next 12 months, what's your next quarterly initiatives? What are the top four things you need to do in order to get there? All the stuff I'm saying to you right now super tactical, super and strategic in some sense too, super important. And people can wrap their head around that because it's tangible. You can put your hand on it. And then I say, oh, and by the way, we're going to make core values come alive in your organization. Okay. What do you do with that? Right. And what, so what I find is people try to get tactical again. Oh, I'm going to have a core value committee and we're going to, you know, we're going to have core value day. And, you know, so, so again, they're trying to make it tactical, which those things are all good, but they have, they're, they're not laying on any strong foundation. And what I found, what I figured out was the, what's broken in, in the position I've taken is that core values have the language, can have the opportunity to become the language of accountability. Um, and the core value equation, what it stands for is that every result in our business and life is directly correlated to the core values that we brought to life, right? So core values have the opportunity to become our language. Our language becomes our conversations. Our conversations becomes our decisions. When we may have conversations internally and externally, we make decisions off those conversations. From those decisions, we take actions. From those actions, we get results. Core values equals results. So I've taken this really somewhat controversial position that every single result in your life is based on the core values that you've brought to life who you choose to surround yourself with, how you decide to conduct yourself. All these things happen because of the values that we've brought to life or not brought to life. And then we get the results out of those. So if you really want to change the, the, the results, you got to make sure you're aligned with the values. And the, what the book says, talks about is, to your point earlier, that most people have them hanging on the wall, but mo they don't do anything with them. It's not out of a malintent. It's just out of like lack of knowledge, right? Right. And, and and I did the same thing. Like my the book was written from a place of pain where I had done the same thing. And what I ended up doing was figuring out that no, like like if you and it was all this all intuitive and accidental. Like I, like I figured it out. I kind of like did stuff and it worked. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I did more stuff and it worked. And then I was like, why did that work? And then over time, I I'd have these moments where I connected the dots. And for me, it happened a couple times. One, it happened when I was at MIT at Birthing of Giants, which was the entrepreneurial master's program there. And where we had this exercise where they said, please stand up if you have a company that has core values. So I'm in a room with like 59 other badass CEOs and everyone stands up because we all wrote our core values just like you did. You know, you, you had your nine values. I had six values, 76 words. And he said, well, please stay standing if you could say your core values off the top of your head. Just like yourself, I sat down. I didn't know, you know. Half the room sat down in, in this in this case. Wow. Then I said, please stay standing if your employees know your core values. So if you're listening to this, think think about this. If you, A, if you are listening to this and you're an entrepreneur, you probably came up with your own values. So if you don't know them, like you got work to do, uh, which is probably nine out of 10 of you that are listening um, because that's what the data says. 90% of people don't know their company core values and, and 
That's just, it is what it is. And so then you say, okay, well, how many of my employees actually know my core values? Well, if you don't know them, what do you think? <laughs> if you're the right. CEO and you don't know them, hey, I, I, I got an answer for you. It's less than you, right? Right. So, yep. so like, it's going to be a really small percentage. So in the room I was in, you know, 60 were standing, half sat when they asked if we knew the values and then half sat, then half of the remaining half sat when they asked if their employees knew it. And then they said, well, you know, stay standing if your employees, or excuse me, if your customers know your values. Hmm. And everyone sat down, you know, with the exception of the two guys who were conducting the, the workshop, who are these pretty well-known entrepreneurs up in Canada. And uh, they were on Nurse Next Door. It's a Gazelle's case study. And so the next day I was like, man, something's wrong here. So I said, well, what do we really care about? And how do I translate that in a language that, that's like sticky and resonative? I mean, we do this with so many things, with marketing. We always pick these like, like even like the name of your your company, your podmatch, right? Like, like that's a cool, that, that's a cool, you know, creating a, a brand podcast. These are like cool ways of saying stuff. That's how you talk about this business. Right. Um, you know, we do this in our businesses, in our lives. We have a certain language around how we conduct ourselves. And, and for me and my business at that point, there was four things we cared about doing work, working hard, living Zen, doing the right thing, uh, breaking the box, being innovative and wowing everyone, you know, having excellent service. So I went back and I took the six, six value, 76 words. And I was like, do work, live Zen, break the box, wow everyone. Now I wrote those, by the way, 13 years ago, I could still remember them without even thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And then I brought it back to my organization and I noticed the same thing. Everyone knew them and started using them. And what I had done, what I'd stumbled upon was I had created a language in my organization. And the book, what it really does is starts diving into that where it says, look, most people, what they do is they discover what's important to them. You have nine values that are important to you, which I would argue is too many, but yes. because in your book, I agree before yeah. in your book, I didn't agree, but now I do. Yeah. Yeah. It was almost had 10. I, and I said that they, they got that wrong, but um, why well, just is too many. Like you, like you, yeah, I, listen, man, there's probably a hundred things you stand for, right. but there's only four or five that really matter, you know? And, and, uh, Jim Collins and Jerry Porras wrote a book called Built to Last, where they said, when you look at visionary companies, they stand for no less than three and no more than seven, you know, and the mean is four or five. So the four or five, it seems right. Like the, like if push comes yeah. to shove, there's four or five things you stand for. And, and so fast forward to 2013, I had this new business I was growing and I kind of used the same method where I redesigned the values. We had four values there. People matter, inspiring leadership, strength of character and rock solid service. Uh, which is really stands for four things, caring about people, having integrity, creating inspiration and being service oriented. And I was at this team build and we had at that point, we'd grown from uh, 13 to like, I don't know. It was, actually, there's probably 30 of us there when we started 30 to almost 300 people in 18 months. It's so quick. My goodness. Yeah, yeah. It's ins insanity. When you do it, you're like drinking from a fire hose. But I know <laughs> but two things happened. I noticed A, that we had off the charts, like, if you know, NPS or ENPS, net promoter score, employee net promoter score, that's Bain's tool for engagement. We had off the charts engagement scores, like, like number one in the United States. And I was at this team build and I was like, man, I grew twice as fast as I did with twice as many, three times the people as I did the first time when I did it a decade earlier or half decade earlier. And, and everyone's, we crushing it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I noticed everyone was using core value language. So I, that, that moment I was like, wow, I'm onto something here. This is in 2015. And the problem is this, most entrepreneurs, people listening to this are like, all right, you go and Hey, what's important to you, Alex, you're going to come up with a few things that are important to you. And those are your nine core values. 
And then you like hang on a wall, on a wall and go back to work. So what you did is you discovered your values. You know, I mean, I'm not saying any of those nine things are not important. I know they're important to you, but you didn't do anything with them. You just discovered them and then you put them on a wall and put them, went back to work. If you did the exact same thing with your business services or products, what would happen? Be out of business pretty quick. Right. But we do it with our values all the time. Right. We, we, and, and I say like, you have to treat your products, your, your values like a product, you know, you have to make them viral. You have to make them sticky. You have to make them interesting. They have to be really meaningful. You have to care about them, you know, and, you know, with attention comes, you know, growth, right? When you give something attention, it grows. And so, um, but, but most people do that. They discover them, they roll them out. Maybe you teach them to a few people and then you go back to work. It's business as usual. I call it BAU. And I say, well, why do you expect this like amazing result where the values are going to be thriving and alive when you didn't do anything with them? All you did is like put them on a piece of paper and hang them up. Like that's nothing. Right. And, and, and in my book, what we do is we, we, I, I, I figured out there's a better way. And the better way is discovery parts, a well-worn path, like figuring out that you have nine things that that matter to you. I guarantee if you read them to me, I could probably put them in groups. There's probably two groups of four or five, right? A couple couple of them are probably similar. Right. And so there's really probably only five or four that you really care about. Right? Yeah, I actually went back and did that already. And there's actually only four total. Like there was one that there's one that's saying the same thing. It's like two says the same thing as seven. And the rest of them can kind of all almost be combined. So it's really going to end up being four when I go back through this practice. Yeah, that sounds about right. And that's typically what happens. They, they usually boil down to four or five. What ends up happening is those extra ones are part of another one. Right. So you discover those four or five things that really matter to you. Well, once you discover that, that's great. Good, good job. That's the beginning part of the process. I do that with clients. When, I'll build, when I build a company's core values, I'm building a publicly traded company's core values right now. It took me, I don't know, 35 minutes to figure out what those words were. And we, we but and then it took another, we're about halfway through the process, another six hours to get halfway through the process of, of designing the values. And we got another six hours to work on it. So it takes about 10 to 12 hours of heavy lifting to design them. What I'm designing them for is to, what is the voice of the organization? How do you talk? How do you act? What are the words you guys use to describe like the way you do stuff? And every organization has it. If you got a team of five or six people and you're sitting there, there's a way you guys talk about work or there's a way you talk about customers and there's a way you talk about product. There's a way you interact with each other. That's the language that values need to be wrought. If you could bring that to life, and, and I, my book is a process for how you do that in a very easy way. Now you've designed them to do something really important, and that's for them to be viral and sticky in the organization. They have to be designed to be viral and sticky in the organization. And, and it's like anything else. Anything that's viral and sticky, it gets adopted, right? Right. And, 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 and so, and I use this analogy a lot when I talk about this core values where I'll say, and I'll use, I'll, I'll use, I'll ask you the question, Alex. Hey, Alex, um, you know, how old are you, by the way? I'm 32. Okay, cool. So I'm 33. So, Sorry. I don't so, know why I said 32. 33. Yeah, no, 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 no worries. It's a, it, it, it's a slippery slope. Recently I was on a show and they asked me how old it was. I said 28. And then they just kept on talking. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm 33. I have no idea why I said 28, yeah. but here we are. Sorry, continue. Yeah, right. So, 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 uh, 14 years ago, you were what, 18, 19 years old, right? Mm-hmm. And there's this thing that came out called a iPhone, right? Right. Uh, about three years earlier, what kind of phone did you, you have? What kind of phone did you have when you were a junior in high school? I mean, I went from a Motorola Razor to the iPhone. That was yeah. kind of my switch. Yeah. Nice, nice. So, 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 dude, how many pictures did you take on your Razor? I don't know. Not many. Right. 
right? I had a razor too. I love that phone. Um, by the way, I like small phones. So I have, I have like the, the, the new mini iPhone cause I like yeah. small phones. I had a Nokia before I had a razor. I had a, what else? I, I had a Blackberry at one point, but I, I like the Nokia, like 3,400s little ones. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember those. Yeah. 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 I love those phones. I, I had like 10 of them. Um, I, but, and I come from a generation, I'm a little bit older than you. I come from a generation where we didn't get, we didn't get cell phones uh, like till like call it like college. That was like when I, my first cell phone was like literally, I think a senior in college. Um, and so like, I didn't take pictures of my phone. Why would I, what the hell am I going to do with it? Dude, right. we, we had disposable cameras. We use those, you know? Um, but you know, but what happened is we all got iPhones and in the year 2010, how many pictures do you think people took, uh, in the whole world? 2010, 2010, this is iPhone's been out for four years at this point. I, I don't even know, but I know it's a lot. People went crazy really fast with them. Right. 83 billion is the number. My goodness. <laughs> right. How many pictures do you think they took last year, 2020? Um, I have no clue. One a point lot more. 1.1 trillion. So the question I ask you, is it that we all suddenly decided to become photographers? Is that why all these more pictures were taken? The, the, the hobby of photography just went nuts. It's a photographic revolution because of that hobby. Definitely not. That's not why. No, the, the, what happened was, is we got a tool that, that was very easy to use and it went viral and it's sticky and it has high utility value. And that's the way I tell people to think about their values, create them so that they have a high utility value and they do the work for you. Hey, Alex Sanfilippo here, and I want to take a quick moment to intentionally serve the world with you. Here's what I want you to do. Think of the one person you know who would most benefit from listening to this episode today. Now, I want you to send it to them, but also include an encouraging note explaining why you share this episode with them specifically. By doing this, you're helping me grow this podcast, and you're also adding value to the people you care about. With that said, thank you for your continued support. It means the world to me. And now, let's get back to today's episode. When is the right time to to do this? Now, obviously, if you don't have them, like start now, right? But like if you're really beginning stage, it's just you and a company or maybe you and a partner or something like that. Is that too soon to get started? Or do you think that that's okay to go ahead and, and for someone to start implementing? I think with a partner, it's really important. I think if it's just you by yourself, then, you know, it's less important. It's never too early to build them. If you're too young, though, because the other thing that, that I was talking to Vern Harnish about this, and he and I had a pretty in-depth conversation. He said, you, you know, look, Darius, core value is the personality of your organization, right? So when you're too small, what ends up happening is it hasn't fully developed yet. So maybe three to five years in, if you're a startup, for instance, and you build them, it's more aspirational. You haven't actually built the business yet or you're young, the, you know, you haven't, you know, product market fit. You haven't, you know, really, the scale has been minimal at that point. What will happen is, is the personality hasn't fully developed. So, you, so it's more aspirational. So three to five years in, as you have product market fit, you've scaled the business, you maybe have 10, 15, 20 employees, 100 employees, 200 employees, 15,000 employees, doesn't make a difference to me. Um, what will happen that is a personality will be there that may be slightly different than what you imagined it, it would be day one. And you were going to want to probably revisit the values and, and maybe tweak them a little bit. Okay, cool. That makes a lot of sense, actually. So it's good to get like at least a framework and idea out even when you're really beginning stage, but true, like implementation and actually rolling that out will happen when it becomes like a true organization with a staff and things like that when you're kind of past that initial phase. That makes sense. Um, I'd love to dive into actually how to build core values. You talk about what you call the core value waterfall. 
Can you walk us through some of the, those four steps there just to, for us to understand how we can start building these out ourselves? Um, you know, the, the core value of waterfalls is, is the design process, which is, you know, you want to come up with a theme. So give me like five of your core values. Do you know, you, you know your core values? Can you read them, read them off to me? <laughs> I don't. I don't know all, know all nine, but the first, the first of which is uh, integrity based. Oh, okay, so 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 let's use integrity. Like, like uh, you ever hear of a company by the name of Enron? I have. Yeah, the, their their number two core value is integrity. Um, and so for listeners who don't know, who that is it's a company that like committed like one of the largest frauds in the history of like the stock market. Um, so it's funny that their number two core value is integrity. The reason I say that though is that the way you view integrity might be slightly different than the next guy. Now integrity is one of those things where there's not a lot of wiggle room. But let's use like let's say if one of your core values is excellence or happiness. Um, what you want to do is I call that brochure language. Like you and everyone and their brother have one of those core values. Like those are pretty common core values. Right. What you want to do is translate that into the language of the organization. And what I say is the waterfalls, there's, there's really three parts, uh, excuse me, four parts. There is the theme, which is the words we're using right now. These are generic words that you want to really translate into tonal language. Then you have uh, what I call a header and a descriptive. In the design process, we build the descriptive first. When we're building the descriptive, which is what are the four to eight sentences that describe, let's use integrity-based to your point earlier, that describe what integrity-based looks like for your company, for the your team. How can they, really, what does it look like? Don't You don't want to leave it up for interpretation, but you want to stay at maybe more of the 10,000 foot level. You don't want to go down into the weeds. Um, the theme, is that 30,000 level. That's that high, that really high level belief. Um, and then we want to convert that theme into a header. So in my last business, we had one of our core values was integrity. We called strength of character. So I took the word integrity and I translated it into a header, which is, that's the language, the sticky language I want people to remember. It's like the headline, right? Right. So that's your 30,000 foot level though. That header, that that theme needs to be converted into a header. And that's the thing you want your team to remember. Why? It's it, because it becomes a anchor point. My team knows we stand for four things. People matter, strength, character, inspiring leadership, rock solid service. Those are the four themes of caring, which became people matter, strength of character, which became uh, which was integrity, uh, inspiring leadership, which is inspiration, rock solid service is service orientation. So, so we convert service orientation to rock solid service. That, my team knows those. They don't need to remember what the four to eight sentences are. That's for reference later. But th- what the four to eight sentences say is, well, what does rock solid service really look like? You know, because rock solid service to my company, which is called the money source, might be different than it is across the street, right? Mm-hmm. So we want to really spell that out. But that's a 30,000 foot. So theme is the highest. Then you convert to the header, which is 30,000 foot level. 10,000 foot level is your descriptive. What does it look like? And then at the bottom, the ground level is where you convert that core value, the descriptive and the header into policy and procedure. And that's that's SOPs, policy and procedures. These are more tactical. How does that, well, what does it look like? Well, let's take rock solid service. My company, we had rock solid service communication policy and procedure. And I just said, here are the 10 things you have to do when you communicate. Don't write in all caps over email. Don't CC everyone and their mother. That's rock solid service in my book. You know, make sure like you're proud of what you write. I could publish it on the front page of the Wall Street Journal and you wouldn't be embarrassed. Like that was part of that policy and procedure around communication, how we want rock solid service policy and procedure come to life in the form of communication, right? So policy and procedures where you can, you really play with it to, you know, weave it around the behavior of the company from a tactical perspective. You know, what I really like about this whole idea of this uh, core value waterfall is it almost becomes your HR department. It gives them something to operate by instead of just using their 
subjective ideas or how they feel about something. It, it gives them a true document to almost manage to. Is that is that what you've seen in your especially larger organizations? Yeah, I mean, but we did it when we were small. You know, it, it, what it did right. is it scaled, it scaled no matter what the size. What happens as you get bigger is you get more resources. So the cool thing about like, but the foundation has to be laid well, right? Like I can build this incredible house, but if it's, you know, if it's on a swamp, it's just going to flip or fall over, you know? But if I build it on a strong foundation, well, you know, over time you make it better and better and better. So what ends up happening is, yeah, you can build, you know, we built our, you know, employee handbook around it. You know, we built tons of trainings around it and policies and procedures. We, we would hire, we would bring in coaches and we would bring in, uh, we would roll out software that, that aligned with what our values were. And all that is additive, but that's tactical. It's nice to have. Um, the reality is, is you got to build them well and stuff like this helps to create a really user-friendly filter around how, well, let's hire for values at least because yeah, I may not get all the other stuff right that like, like an HR manual or training or stuff like that. But you know what, man, like when's the last time you had to look over the shoulder of someone that's just a hard worker that like really cares? You, yeah, you don't like, no, you don't, you all. don't have to think about it. And and that, that we, we, it's a term I coined in the book called invisible scale you get this invisible manager. You're kind of talking about it in the form of an HR manager. I just say it's like everyone's manager and they just kind of police without like it's, 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 it's they're policing themselves because they're just being who they are, but you have to hire for values and you have to fire for values in order to get there. And the only way I know how to do that is you get super crystal clear on what the values are and you make sure the team knows them so that they can't say that they didn't know when someone breaks the values, it's a core value breach and everyone knows that that person's out. And you move on, you know, there's no like letting that person hang out because, oh, you know, they messed up and, you know, may, maybe they'll, maybe, maybe I should have done snow, man. They just aren't living your values. They're out. Yeah. You know, and it's because it makes it more black and white. So it removes some of the ambiguity around the, that type of decision-making. And when you do that consistently, like you, everyone has the power to do that. I don't care how big or small you are. You have the power to do that. In fact, the bigger companies probably have the most amount of ability to not fire for that because they have enough of a bench where they're like, ah, whatever, like, like no one's going to notice. There's thousands of us here. We have that one loser in the corner, you know, like it does undermine the culture, but like it takes time for that to drip all the way through the organization. You got like seven people in your company and one person is a bad apple. Good luck on that one, man. Right. That's cool. Yeah. That's, that's going to ruin your business really fast. So, so I would say it's even more important when you're small. You have a really great quote in the book that I think that speaks really to this point. And you say that top performers will come and go, but core values create value that no person can offer in any organization. And I think that's just such a true point. It, it's that if you can operate at the core values, it's easier to, to hire, to fire, to make the decision based off of that versus just, I guess, if you have a wide venture, you don't, right? Like it makes sense as to what you're going to be able to be looking at. So I really appreciate that point. I wanted, I did want to talk about something else. You've been talking about making your core values sticky. I want to talk about that a little bit more because you mentioned something early on where you said that at your in your your class you were asked like do your customers know your core values? Do you think that core values making them sticky should you have them on your website? Like should they be in your branding? Like what what does that look like exactly? I just want to get your perspective on that idea. Well, like let me start off by telling you because I do you know what the actual well let me ask you a question. Do you know what the actual definition of the word core values is? Like if you look it up, if you look in like the dictionary, what, what is what is the actual definition of the word core values? Uh, I, I don't actually know. Yeah, it's funny. I didn't know either. I wrote the book and even then I didn't know. And then I, oh, okay. I, and I, really, I shouldn't feel bad then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't worry, man. Everything you don't know, I didn't know either. Uh, That's good to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
the 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 I looked it up after I wrote the book, which is kind of funny. You, you write a book about core values and you've never looked up the definition. Core values, if you look it up, it's the fundamental beliefs of a person or an organization. The fundamental, the most important beliefs of a person or an organization. So your question was, should I outwardly promote those? So my I'm going to rephrase the question. Should you outwardly promote the, your fundamental beliefs of the business to your clients who are going to do business with you? Well, when you say it that way, yes, of course. Right, of course. Like, why wouldn't you? Like, like, and, and I would tell you it's a differentiating value proposition. Like, they know who they're doing business with. People don't do business with what you do. They do business with who you are and why you do it, right? Like, unless you have a commoditized business, which, you know, lots of people, even if you have a commoditized product, you still probably have a service around it that's not commoditized. Um, if, if you're a person that is giving business and you want people to show up to do business with you because they like you, they should probably know what you believe in, you know? And my guess is, is you have a much higher chance of getting people to stick around as a client if their beliefs align with your beliefs than if it's, than if they have no idea or if they don't actually believe what you believe. Vice versa, let's say you're working with clients who their belief systems don't align with yours. And I'm not talking about politics or like religion. Like, you know, some people, you know, like Chick-fil-A is a good example. You know, they kind of let their, their, because they're very Christian-based organization, you know, they let those beliefs, you know, get in the way of probably some business. Like I, I know people that won't eat there because of their beliefs around like LGBTQ and stuff like that. But, you know, they're like, I don't care. We're not open on Sundays. We don't like we don't want your money. And they crush it. You know, now, I, whether I believe or don't believe in what they believe in is not really the point here. The point is, is like they don't care. They believe in what they believe. And people there's a I guarantee you. For every one guy that's not going to eat a Chick-fil-A, there's probably five people that are like, I love the, that they stand for this because they're outwardly promoting what they stand for. Again, I don't even necessarily align. And my beliefs don't necessarily align with their beliefs, but I but I fully respect the way that they came out and said, owned who they are. And if you look at the best companies who you like doing business with, go see if your beliefs align with theirs. My guess is there's things that they do that resonate with you. And you're like, man, I really like this company. Like they see things the way I do. So my answer to, it's a very simple question, but it's a bit of a long winded answer, which is like, I think that you're a fool not to like, like it's foolish. It's a differentiating value proposition. It's a way to really get more personal with your clients. Great branding is usually based from emotions and values, and you have you're leaving money on the table if you're not going out there and actively promoting your values to your clients. So great vision there, like a great overview of like how that works, what that looks like. Thank you, Darius. I appreciate you sharing that. And this has been like just a really insightful conversation. Now I want to be respectful of your time, so I want to just find out if you have any final thoughts for the listeners today before we end. Yeah, you know, look, like I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to this. And so my biggest piece of advice to you is, you know, get clear about who you are and what you are as an organization. Go out there, you know, design them so that people they're in the language of the organization. Put them out there, use them all the time and be un- unapologetic about it. And if you do that, the right people will show up, the wrong people will leave and you're going to grow a lot easier, a lot faster. Love it, Darius. Thanks so much for being a guest, man. I really appreciate your time and, and being a guest on the show. Yeah, pleasure is mine. Thanks for having me, Alex. I like to think that with most topics that are covered on the Creating a Brand podcast that I at least have a baseline understanding of what we're talking about and how to succeed within that topic. But I have to confess, when it comes to core values and using them to direct the future of an organization, I've been getting it completely wrong. I learned a lot from this conversation and I'm now in the middle of rewriting my core values to roll it out among my entire startup organization. And I encourage you to do the same. 
There's a quote on this topic that's always stuck to me, and now it's something that I'm thinking about even more than ever, and it's this. What's talked about in the halls is more powerful than what's written on the walls. So I encourage you, make sure that you build an organization that talks about the core values in the hallways, and it's not just something that's pretty and sitting on the wall. Darius, thank you for being a guest and helping us understand how to effectively use core values to grow our businesses. For links to Darius Mershazde's book, The Core Value Equation, and to his website, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 144. Thank you as always for listening. I'm looking forward to bringing you another Masterclass episode next week.